Good morning. Good morning, Rio Vista Community Church. Um, what a great pleasure it is for me to have the opportunity to share God's word with you all today. My name is Pastor Winston Miller, or my name is Winston Miller. My parents did not name me Pastor. I'm sorry about that. I'm a pastor here at Rio Vista Community Church, and my family has been with um, this family for the past couple years, and I I just want to say we love this church. We love this church, and it's been uh, such a wondrous blessing for us to be a part. I've been so blessed by so many of you all in so many ways. So we love the church, and we thank God for it, and um, wherever you are today, in your living room or in your car or here in the worship center, um, I think it was up on the screen last week, we began a series called Undivided, and we're preaching it along with dozens of other churches here in South Florida uh, around this time to remind the church that we are united by Jesus, that we're called to the same mission, and that we as a church are to serve as a demonstration community of God's kingdom lived out on the earth, a kingdom of righteousness, of justice, of truth, of grace, and love. And last week, uh, Tom started us off with the message that Jesus unites us to each other, that by virtue of Jesus, we're a united church, and that a divided world needs to see a united church. How many of you all would agree with that? All right. But this morning, the gravity of our times is such that I would would probably insult you if I attempted to overlook the overwhelming frustration that many of us feel from the events of 2020 and really even before that. It's true that our world is divided and is polarized around so many issues, but it's also true It's also true that using that same measuring stick, that the visible body of Christ, from the outside looking in, at least appears divided. And in many ways, we really act like a divided church, and that's why we're preaching this series. Um, We're divided by denominations, uh, by races, by ethnicities, theological differences, and now sometimes even by our perspective on politics. But I'm also talking about us being divided in our hearts toward one another, where we, where we actually don't believe that we are really, truly brothers and sisters in Christ, and we forget that what unites us, who unites us, is far greater than anything that could ever divide us. And that bond that unites us to one another as brothers or sisters in Christ is stronger and longer lasting than any bond that we have here with family, friends, maybe even even with our spouses. And if we're honest in our assessment on the condition of the church in this country and in many other countries around the world, our assessment would have to, to be that those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ don't always seem to enjoy following him together. And we've got to reckon with that. We've got to ask why that is and what effect that has on our world. 
But most of all, we've got to fix it, right? And in obedience to our Lord Jesus, who commanded us to love one another, we've got to fix any disunity because what's at stake is nothing less than the ability of the world to see Jesus clearly. Yes, God is sovereign in salvation. We know that. He'll lose none that are his. We know that. But there are means that God uses to do his work in the world, and those means include us, his church. And if you're a non-believer and you quite reasonably question why the church seems so divided, let me say that there are some reasons, okay? Think about it this way. Years ago, um, we had the Miller, Cameron, and Ferguson family reunion uh, in, a, in a small town called Ulcer Spring in the parish of Trelawney in the hills of Jamaica. And uh, I remember meeting people I had heard about, but, but I didn't know. And then I, I met people that I'd never even heard of. But you know what it was? It was always like, what's up, cousin? <laughs> what's up, uncle? What's up, auntie? And uh, just a great feeling. They were family. Never met them, but I like them already. They were family. Uh, uh, blood joined us together. And in, like in every family, every extended family consists of nuclear families, right? And in each one of these nuclear families, they may defer in the rules of the family, right? Like, you know, what Netflix shows they watch, um, whether or not they have gluten in the house, whether kale is allowed in the house, right? Um, so in a very simplistic way, this is sometimes how we end up with, like, different denominations, different rules uh, in, in the house, and different ways of worshiping, or even different physical churches that are, you know, uh, separated by culture, languages, geography, etc. But every once in a while, it's great for those families to get together in a family reunion, like, like the Millers did, where the family name unites you. And there's music and dancing and joy and barbecue, and like we had jerk chicken, right? Games and the mere fact that you're family, you're together, you're unified. You set aside any differences just to have a great time. And when you see a family reunion like that, like in, you know, if you were to go to C.B. Smith Park or Holiday Park and, I mean, pre-COVID days, and you would take note of that, wouldn't you? Because despite the differences between the nuclear families, you can tell that it's one family, undivided. And that's our prayer. That's our hope that we would be seen by the world as an undivided church. So we've got, a, we've got work to do as the body of Christ. Despite our differences, we need to p- picture ourselves as always at the family reunion, enjoying our oneness under a common name and working to be united. Acknowledge our differences, but celebrate our unity in Christ. It matters Because the world is watching our family. And the world will know the family name, Jesus, because we are loving one another in true heartfelt unity. 
And why is that important? Because the way that the Spirit of God brings unbelievers into the kingdom of God is through you and I making disciples of people who don't know Christ or who who don't yet love Christ or his church. And, And we, the church, we're the body of Christ. That's what we're called metaphorically in Scripture. And when they see a church that is contentious or argumentative or promoting sinful divisions, they may see little evidence of a church that represents Jesus' name. But when they see a united church that is, that is overcoming what is normally unsurmountable human differences while we're worshiping a holy God together, they're drawn to believe in Jesus. And you might say, well, Winston, what evidence do you have that people will be drawn to believe in Jesus if the church is united? Well, for one, we're going to look at what Jesus said, or rather what he prayed. Because what we will see is that Jesus prayed that we, brothers and sisters, all over this country, all over the world, would be united, that we would be one, and that we would be one in order to fulfill a particular purpose so that the world would know and believe in and follow Jesus. So the text that I want us to look at today is found in the Gospel of John chapter 17. I want us to look at verses 9 through 11 and also verses 20 through 23. This particular text is found in a section uh, theologians call Jesus's farewell discourse that begins in chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is on his way with his disciples to the cross. Uh, They don't know it yet, but he knows it. And he's offering them assurance of his love and his abiding presence with them, comforting them before they even realize they need to be comforted. And he's also giving them their mission. And when he finishes his instructions to them, verse 1 of chapter 17 says that he uh, stands before them and he lifts up his eyes to heaven. And he began to pray to his father. And this prayer they also called Jesus' high priestly prayer because he intercedes as our high priest on behalf of his disciples and we'll find out on uh, on behalf of you and I so that by his sacrifice on the cross we would become the children of God and I want to read it here's what it says at beginning in verse 9 I am praying for them Jesus prayed I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they, they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And love them even as you loved me. What a beautiful prayer. Jesus prays that we would be one. And that unity has a distinct purpose. That's what I want us to leave with here today. Let's notice in, in this passage that Jesus prays for us, 
for you and me and our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world throughout all the generations since Jesus was here. He starts off, though, by saying in verse 20, I do not ask for these only. These only were the at least 11 disciples sitting in front of him while he is praying. And and despite the fact that they all come from the same area and they're all ethnically Jews, uh, they couldn't be more different. Just, Just as an example, you take Matthew, a former tax collector whose sole purpose uh, prior to following Jesus was to hurt his own people by profiting from the Romans. See, Matthew was a Jew, but uh, he was a tax collector and he collected, well, probably better to say he extorted taxes from his own people on behalf of the Roman Empire. And Jesus called Matthew (laughs) to be his disciple. And then he also called Simon, not Simon Peter, but Simon the Zealot. And Zealots wanted their country, Israel, to be free from Roman occupation. And so Zealots worked to profit their own people by hurting the Romans, often through acts of terrorism. You can only imagine that prior to following Jesus, Simon would have hated a man like Matthew, maybe even wanted to take him out. I can only imagine what those early fish dinners were like. Probably the only thing that these two men had in common was Jesus himself. But Jesus was enough. Jesus in common was enough for the Holy Spirit to work through them and through all of these disciples, despite their differences. The Holy Spirit worked them, worked through them enough to where it was said of them that they turn the world upside down with the good news of the gospel because they were undivided. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. A child of God in the 21st century, that's you and I. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus over 2,000 years ago is praying for you? For you specifically. He prays for those who will believe in me through their word, for those whose countries were not even born yet. (laughs) Jesus prays for us and because he does, we've heard the gospel and we believed and obeyed the gospel through the written word of those same disciples sitting right there. In front of Jesus. And someone you know, whether it was your family, um, as you were raised to learn about Jesus, or, or a friend that introduced you to Jesus, someone was used by God to bring you into a disciple making relationship with Jesus Christ, which made you a part of the church. And that disciple making chain goes all the way back to this time when Jesus is praying, not for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And to what end that they all, these disciples and every one of the disciples, thousands of years into the future, that they all may be one. And what does that that oneness, that unity look like? Jesus says something that is really, really quite astounding. Uh, Pay attention. He says that they All may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. We're to be one in a manner that Jesus and his Father are one. 
Our oneness in a manner of speaking mirrors the oneness of our triune God. That's astounding. Verse 22, the, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. That doesn't sound like us, but it is. <laughs> it is us. Because what unites us is greater than what divides us. Who unites us is greater than anything that could ever divide us. And if we're united by Jesus, we're divided by nothing. And to what end? That they all may be one. Why? Verse 21. So that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23. That they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me. Church, there is a purpose that hinges on our unity. And it's no less the salvation of our neighbors, of our cities, of our county, of South Florida, of our country and of the world. And and now in scripture, we understand the world to mean those systems that are opposed to God, opposed to Jesus Christ, opposed to his church. When we think about the world, our thoughts and our attention may go to a caricature of of people that we don't like (laughs) or that we don't agree with. But, But I must submit that the world includes some of the people we care most deeply about. Uh, We should have a heart for all humanity that's created in the image of God. And we don't know whom God will eventually save, so we should take the time to talk to everyone we know about Jesus until their last breath. Never give up. And sometimes that includes our parents, our our co-workers, our best friends, our children. But many times we find that they are hesitant to come to Jesus. Could it be that they are hesitant because of us? As we talk about our children, statistics show that that young people who are um, millennials or or Gen Z, they're rejecting the church in ways previous generations really never did. And it's not merely the lack of Christian education. It's not merely the influence of New Age religions or or social media distractions. The latest Barna research indicates that 22% of 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in the church no longer identify as Christians. 30% are nomads on the the edge. They're still calling themselves Christians, but they're not connected to any church community. And 38% are not really even connected to God, but they're at least hanging around a church community. Pandemic, social issues of our world have only accelerated their rejection of the church or their strained, loose connections with the church. And, and at least for these last two groups I mentioned, they're those who still consider themselves Christian and those who um, are at least connected to a Christian community, we've got some wonderful opportunities like Alpha to form relationships with them, to introduce them to Jesus, to the church community for answers in a time like this. But many in this next generation of leaders 
and major influencers are hesitant to come to the church. Again, could it be that they are hesitant because of us, because of our our lack of unity? I pray that this is not the case, but in this age of of divisiveness and polarization and, and canceling before we even get a chance to understand what the other person is talking about, Could it be that in this time, a true revival of the church is dependent on the fully evident unity of the church? What would it be like if if we insist on our prayer meetings, either in our home or on our Zoom calls or right here, that they looked more like heaven? Where every tribe and every nation and every language is coming together to worship the one true God. Until he changes our hearts and heals our nation. What would it look like? What would it look like if we refuse to allow the world to see our unhealthy divisions of church? Because what we're going to do instead is proactively get together in the proverbial room and work out our differences with a goal of reconciliation. And we're not just attempting to force people into submission to agree with us. The world, our next generation included, if they want Jesus at all, what they want is the real, miraculous, wonder-working, holy, unifying Jesus who is powerful enough to work in and through us so that we would love one another well and be an undivided church that brings revival and renewal to this world. And, you know, as I talked about the world, I I didn't emphasize something that's true of each and every one of us, but I'll do so now. We were a part of the world. Remember? We were opposed to God. We were opposed to Christ. We were opposed to his church. Even if you were raised in a church like I was and, you know, you spent hours and hours in church functions and at worship services and in the dinners and... And all of that, uh, it wasn't until my own heart turned to God in repentance and faith, I was a part of the world that needed to be reached with the message of the gospel. And so were each and every one of you. Ephesians 2 says that it was nothing but bad news before we came to trust in Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins, it says. It says we made decisions according to the way that the world thinks and acts, which is controlled by the spirit of the enemy of God, which is Satan, the adversary. And the Bible tells us that we were only concerned about fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and that we were by nature children of wrath. This is who God says that we were. But thank God, if you heard the message of the gospel and responded in repentance, to God and placed your faith in Jesus alone, you became a child of God by God's grace. And everything changed. And even though we, we already existed as creatures of God, we became what the Bible calls a new creation. That's what Paul the Apostle calls us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And it goes on to say this about how it happened. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us again the message of reconciliation. That word reconciliation, uh, it means an establishment of friendly relations between two parties who were at odds or, or at war with one another. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins and in rebellion against a holy God. And God, through Christ Jesus, made us his children. Talk about reconciliation. <laughs> he didn't just make us his friends, though we are his friends. It's much closer than that, and even closer in a sense than just mere children, because he placed his spirit within us forever. And so we've been reconciled to our creator, our father, our God, and nothing can take that away from us. And just as Christ has done that for us, he gave us the power to do that with one another. It says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that because you have Jesus living in you, you have the power to be reconciled to any other child of God? Well, Winston, you obviously don't know who I'm thinking about right now. I don't know them, but God does. And if they're a Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ who places their faith in him and him alone for their salvation, the Holy Spirit of God in you and them makes reconciliation possible. And not only possible, but essential. By the power of God, we've got to seek God's help so that we're not harboring what we think are irreconcilable differences with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But furthermore, that, that ministry of reconciliation has another purpose. It's a purpose that Jesus prayed for, that we would be one so that the world may know that Jesus has come. With this ministry of reconciliation, the word of God says that we have been appointed by God as ambassadors of Christ. And that same text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, God is making his appeal to us who are not followers of Jesus through us. That's tremendous responsibility. But it's, it's possible because our God is with us. And it starts with being reconciled to God through Christ being reconciled to his church because his church is the body of Christ. You know, you, you can't hate the church and love Jesus Christ. You can't tell me you hate my face and love me. Y'all, y'all hate my, y'all love my face, right? Thank you. We've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to his church and we're ambassadors of Christ so that the gospel, the appeal of Christ will be effective through us. We're the means that God uses to bring people out of darkness into the marvelous light into the kingdom of God. You know that uh, ambassadors are appointed. They're appointed by the leader of a country or a kingdom. They go to another country in order to, to represent their leader's interests in that foreign country. 
So ambassadors, they live in a foreign country, but they represent the country that they are citizens of. They're they're spokespeople for the country that they're citizens of. of. They they can't afford to, to get confused about where their loyalties lie. They don't act on their own authority. Because they're sent by their leader from their home country to represent that home country in a foreign country. Now, as ambassadors of God, we represent God's kingdom and his kingdom interests in this world. We don't represent our interests. We represent the king's interests. We may live in the world, but we're not what? Of the world. We represent the kingdom of heaven. We represent the kingdom of Jesus. We're spokespeople, not for the country we physically live in now, but for the kingdom of heaven because we are citizens of that kingdom. That's where our loyalties, that's where our loyalties lie. So we don't act on our own authority, but whatever the word of God instructs us to do. We heard about that last week. Uh, The word of God is that playbook. Word of God is that rule book. For life. And if people outside of the kingdom want to know what it's like to be a part of the kingdom, they need to watch how the ambassadors treat one another. The ambassadors need to be in unity about what the king has said and what the king intends. And King Jesus intends to add more ambassadors to his kingdom. More people from this earthly country reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ. More people transformed into new creations. More people to become children of God. And ambassadors, he's going to use you to bring them in. He's going to use me to bring them in. But we've got to be on the same page about the good news from our kingdom. And Jesus, when he was on earth, he preached and showed us what that kingdom was like. Jesus gave his life for others. He was self-sacrificing, not self-promoting. He was humble when he had all power in his hands. He corrected the hypocrisy and the bad theology of the theologians of his day. He, He showed them how adultery was really in the heart. He showed them how from the beginning, marriage was between one man and one woman. He condemned the cruelty of murder, not just what could be seen, but murder in the heart. He affirmed the importance and the value of the lives of our children, saying, suffer the little children to come unto me and don't forbid them. Don't you dare hinder them because their lives matter to me. They're important to me. Jesus was concerned about the poor and the marginalized in his society. In one of his first recorded sermons, uh, it, it, he gave it after he read from, they read from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he told them that the scripture was fulfilled in him. To the Samaritans, he told them, you know, Jewish worship matters. And to the Jews, he told them, Samaritans' lives matter. 
because he's always been concerned about racial justice. And he kept bringing up opportunities in the early church for for reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles. And he's never stopped being concerned about that type of reconciliation. Because Jesus intended that his new creations would live with one another in a manner as to serve as a demonstration community of God's kingdom lived out on earth. A kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of truth, of God's grace and love. And the only way that the world is going to get it twisted, that somehow Jesus does not care about all of these things, is if his ambassadors were to somehow stop standing alone on the platform of the kingdom, which is the word of God. And if somehow we were to just start leaning on earthly platforms, which are inadequate, which are so inadequate in order to deal with all those things that matter so much to God. And if we as the ambassador start to identify so much with the foreign platform that we think it's our platform. And then if other ambassadors start to to lean on another foreign platform that they they mistakenly think is their platform. And then we start to demonize one, one another based on standing on inadequate platforms. Instead of working together side by side on the platform of the kingdom that is the only stable foundation for the sake of the kingdom. Listen, we don't want the world to get it twisted. Jesus cares about all of these things and he calls us as his ambassadors, as his ministers of reconciliation to be reconciled one to another so that the world will know that Jesus has come into the world to reconcile them to God, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to pray to our Father like you prayed to your Father that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer, Lord, is, is answered through your church and will be answered more fully when you return. But right now I pray for us as a church, the church that you love and that you gave your life for, that we would learn to be reconciled to one another, that we would from our heart have genuine concern and love for one another so that the world would know that you, Father, sent Jesus into the world so that they may be saved. We thank you for this time together, Lord, which is representative of our unity in you. May you continue to bless us as we go. In Christ's name, amen.